My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion, The Visitor, The Encounter, The Message, The Predator, The Capture, The Stranger, The An- the Secret, The Android, The Forgotten, The Reaction, The Chain, The Unknown, The Escape, The Warning, The Decision, The Slow Departure, The Sickle Discovery, The Proposal, Threat, The Conspiracy, The Separation, The Deception, The Suspicious Existence, The Extreme Sacrifice, The Diversion, and The Beginning. Solution. So yeah, should we talk about this week's book? Which the book was solution. It? The solution. Yeah. What was the problem, Greg? I think it was Visser Three. <laughs> no, it was David. It's definitely David. It was David. So there's so many things to talk about in this book. I'm really excited to talk about what seemed to me like the biggest problem, which is what happened to Germany. I didn't notice. Did it <laughs> drop off the list? Noticed. Oh no. It suddenly becomes a G5. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about this before the summer. But let's do it. Okay. So. I just wanted to bring up that really glaring error, which means this whole book is probably an alternate universe. Yeah. But. No, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So you know the other plot line that doesn't get resolved in this book? What? Who the controller head of state is. So oh obviously gosh. the German head of state was a controller and the Elemist fixed it yeah. by uninviting Germany to this G5 conference. So actually, my theory is that in this book, like in the world of this book, Germany ceased to exist because the Elemis still wanted his zoo and the Animorphs didn't take his deal. So he made the offer oh, to the all German the people Animorphs. of Germany. <laughs> and all the people of Germany are now on a different planet. How would you say Animorphs in German? The people that turn into animals? It'd be a nice, It would be like 15 word. syllables yeah. long. I did not notice, but that's so funny. Yeah, Rachel's like five countries and I was like, wait. What, what country's missing? And I was like, maybe it was just a typo there. No, like several times later in the book, it's yeah. like these five countries. It's like no results for Germany in the whole book. No Germany. Fascinating. All right. Well, we'll just call that a casu, I guess. So what happened in this book? Let me tell you about it. Uh, so this is the third book in the David trilogy, where we continue the story of David, a.k.a. the worst decision the Animorphs have ever made. And that is saying something. <laughs> so yeah. very impressive. It starts with Axe waking up Rachel with the news that Jake is in danger. He's off fighting David and the big cat morphs, and Tobias is dot, dot, dot missing. Mm. They think Tobias is dead. So Axe and Rachel go off and find Jake. He's bleeding out in the middle of a mall. So uh, they first fight David, who's in his line morph, and then Jake gets taken away to the gardens by the cops and Cassie's mom. Axe and Rachel go wait to wake up Marco. But when they get there, it's actually David in disguise as Marco. Uh, So Axe gets injured by David, and then David and Rachel fly off and fight in their bird morphs, and Tobias, who is not dead, hooray, um, saves her, and it's awesome. So it turns out David killed some other red-tailed hawk, but thinks he killed Tobias, which will be important later on. Um, Jake is fine, so is everybody else. It's actually kind of an anticlimactic chapter, and they're like, and then everyone was fine, moving on. (laughs) David wants the blue box, um, and maybe he wants it to bargain with this or three. So he threatens the Animorphs with violence or exposure in order to get it. Very much the B plot here is the big conference for Middle East peace. Now the G5, apparently. The Animorphs have to finish disrupting it, so they morph into their largest morphs, three elephants and two rhinos, and smash up the resort where it's being held. Simple, straightforward, over in like two chapters. Nicely done, you guys. And then, meanwhile, back to the A plot, um, Jake and Rachel's cousin, the one who was injured in the previous book, has been transferred to the local children's hospital where he's in critical condition. Except when they go to visit him, he's miraculously been healed because, surprise, it's David. He's still awful, very awful. 
they um, come up with this whole plan to defeat him by trading the blue box. It's complicated and we'll go through the whole thing, I think. Um, but David ends up as a ratna what, that they dump on an island in the middle of the ocean. It's all very bad. Um, and the main kind of emotional plot of the book is Rachel working with the other animals and coming to terms with the fact that she's seen as the warrior, which makes her uncomfortable. And uh, it's all like the insight into Rachel in this book is fantastic. The David stuff is terrible. My summary at the end. <laughs> that was a great summary. So do you mean the David stuff is terrible like it is objectively within the context of the books terrible or that you really hated reading about it? No, uh, the, the first one. I okay. think the, right. the, what he does is very bad. What they do to him, also not great. Mm-hmm. This kid is just seriously messed up and I don't have any sympathy for him. Yeah. What was it like reading the conclusion to this trilogy? I was uh, appalled, completely appalled by their again by by what he has done, by their choices, and we talk a lot about how these books have deal really well with the trauma of the situation that they find themselves in, but this book really drove it home in ways that I think other ones haven't, like Rachel's reactions and the way that she's living with this violent side of her, she kind of comes of age a little bit in this mm. book, I think. And when she um, says that, she says she grew up a little. Yeah, exactly. Um, just the, the experiences that they go through. This is a tough trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's so many bad decisions. It's, there are no good choices, really, except for there was one possible good choice. And then after that, it's just a series of the lesser of two evils. It's a it's a really interesting trilogy to drop in the middle of this series. Yeah. Yeah. Really fascinating. What did you guys think of it when you read it this time or the first time? Well, I read it before 20 or 21. Oh, no. Which, I, you know, I didn't realize. Yeah. Like, I, I've said before, I was used to reading these series with just dozens and dozens and dozens of books just totally out of order. And I read this one and knew I was missing a lot. <laughs> and so I don't really know. I mean, I was missing so much context. I read 20, I read 22 and then 21 and then 20 because it was hard to find 20. And it was not the right order to read it in. Um, but I do, I like this book a lot. I, I don't remember how I felt about it the first time around. But like this time around, I definitely like... I feel like the trilogy really ramps up. Like, we get so much interesting stuff in the second one, and then in this one, it really just hits you with, like, all the character stuff and the intensity and the tough decisions, and yeah. Mm -hmm. I think when I read it for the first time, I was totally swept up in the drama of how evil David is, and did not at all see the, like, the nature of their manipulation over the last few chapters coming. Like, you sort of Mm -hmm. know that they have a plan that's unexplained, Mm -hmm. but... I remember being really thrilled that they end up victorious, so to speak. And then, it's a of big course, relief. <laughs> rereading it mm-hmm. now, uh, it, I'm mostly horrified by the ending. And it's it's really hard to feel that kind of like childlike glee at smacking David down, putting him in his place. I um, do still feel like a mix of that. Like, I hate what it does to them to have to make the choice, but it also... He was such a threat to them and did so many terrible things that you're like, he he really did deserve it. I guess it's not really childlikely. It's sort of satisfaction that they were willing to 
like that the plot was willing to put them in a situation. I say that like the plot has agency, that the authors were willing to put the characters in a situation where like they really did actually have to make the choice. Like it wasn't a Disney falling death. It's sort of excruciating yeah. in a way that like I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I that's what I love about this trilogy is that yeah. there's no Deus Ex Machina ending. Yeah. There's no the narrative doesn't let them off the hook at all. Right. It's like Like it does a little bit we were talking about in the second book, they don't have to by the time they have to make the really terrible choices about David, he's already crossed the line of attempting to murder one of them. Um, so it at least gives them the justification, but it doesn't give them an easy way out. Right. That's yeah. a good way to put it. But I think that I feel like a lot of stories, especially a lot of young adult stories, go out of the way to make sure that even though the characters might be facing a tough choice, it, it all works out that the mm-hmm. thing that they did was okay in the end, or they didn't actually have to do like a really bad thing, or yeah. they're like forgiven, or you know, blah blah blah. But yes. this isn't even like they had to do a bad thing in order to win the war. It's like they had to do a bad thing in order to get back to where they were at the beginning oh, of that's book so one, true. Yeah. right? Or and it's also not David doesn't heroically sacrifice himself, or it's mm-hmm. not like they have the choice between you know Viscer three. They like they just let Viscer three kill him or something, or like yeah. with the leopard in nineteen, it's like oh we'll just let him die, you mm-hmm. know, like. There's none of that type of thing. They don't yeah. just let a comet hit. They have to make it hit in this case. Right, right. Yeah, the books have been dancing around the different ways of approaching, like, really tough decisions. And here it's, there's no, they, they, they I feel like they cross a line here. Yeah, um, though they still don't cross the killing in cold blood line. But it feels so close to it. Like, you you get a lot of situations, like you were saying, young adult books, you often get a way out. Like, in narratives in general, there's often, like, characters will find a third way. Mm-hmm. Like, in this case, it would be like, do we let David go off the blue box or do we kill him? And, you know, the third way is let's find some solution where neither of those happens. But in this case, the third way is so terrible that, like, mm-hmm. it's not really a way out. Yeah. And I want to I wanna quote Visser 3 from the last book. When he uh, is doing his whole hologram shenanigans, he he calls out to them. And he's like, let me speak. You know, I bet one of you is David in Morph, right? It's like, uh, you know, I wouldn't have let you live, David, but uh, <laughs> killing you in cold blood wouldn't have suited the hypocritical Andalite sense of morality, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. uh, we don't give Mr. Three a lot of credit, but he's got to read on the Animorphs here. They yeah. will do whatever it takes to not have blood on their hands, even yeah. though I think that what they do to David is worse. So that's interesting. What do you think about it, Gray? I also think that what they do to David is worse. Worse than killing him? Yeah. Yeah. And I was expecting there to be... I was expecting them to provide a death that was not directly attributable to the Animorphs. So Mm -hmm. Visser 3 killing him or him Dying in battle somehow. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And they they don't kill him. Um, But I do agree. I think this is worse. Can we, can we talk about, like, sort of fill people in with the gravity of the ending? We don't have to talk <laughs> yeah. about the whole plan. No, but, no, like, no. the result of it is they they convince David to go into Rat Morph, and um, Rachel is kind of, like, leading him toward, to get the blue box back, basically. And they set up this whole um, booby trap, basically, to capture him in a steel box in Rat Morph. And David thinks all the other animals are out of commission, but they aren't. And now that they've... Once they've trapped him... Um, he realizes, oh no, they're trying to trap me as a rat. And he's immediately like begging for his life. And so uh, Jake sends everybody except for Rachel and Axe away. Uh, Rachel because she volunteers. Yeah, I would say that's not 
quite right because yeah, so. I feel that's significant that like and this is sort of a bigger topic we should talk about later but there's a lot of stuff in this book about Jake using Rachel and I don't know if this is explicitly called out for most of the book, but Jake uses Rachel because he thinks that the violent things aren't going to hurt her as much as they'll hurt other people to have to do them. And once she sort of... That's a generous take, but yeah. Once she sort of... I mean, he also, I think, thinks she'll do them better, but Uh I think part of it is at least how she understands it at the end. She realizes that that's what he was doing, and she sort of takes it on herself to do that, because as we've said, she's very protective, and she sends everyone away, and she's like, this won't bother me, it'll bother the rest of you, and she's lying, and she's like, most of them didn't believe right. me. And then and Axe has to stay to keep track of the two hours. So like, yeah. once it's safe to transport him. And then their plan, so once he's a rat, um, they they take it a step further. They're not like, go live your best rat life however you want. Um, the In Bird Morph, they pick him up and carry him to a rocky island known to be rat infested that is too far for him to swim to shore. Um, and they leave him there and fly away. And... The book ends not with the Animorphs reflecting on their like decision or anything, but with Rachel saying, like, yeah, I guess David survived because I overheard a kid uh, talking about in school how he was out boating next to this island and he thought it was haunted because he could hear somebody like shouting for help or, or wailing in the distance or something. And so it ends on that David is trapped as a rat for the rest of his rat life on a rocky wow. island, going slowly going insane. The friend says uh, he swears he'd heard a faint, ragged voice crying, no, no. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the, like, if it were me, would I rather be dead or trapped as a rat? I think I'd be rather rather be trapped as a rat. Um, we've talked a little bit about, like, the worst morphs to be trapped in. I don't think rat would be the absolute worst one. But certainly there is a big element of the animorphs not wanting to get their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know how much of that is, like... I mean... Like, is it just, like, they... This series isn't allowed to show them killing somebody? Or, like, the authors believe that this is the more moral choice? Like, what is the... I think it's... I think it's hypocritical. I think it's meant to be... I mean, like, that's how I... I I read it as, like, intentionally they're... Intentionally hypocritical. It's intentionally hypocritical. Yeah. Intentionally, like portraying them as wanting to keep their hands. Because you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to end the book on and David is alive and being going insane. Like, mm-hmm. like that's where I understand the being a rat wouldn't be so bad in theory, but textually it is really, really, really bad. Yes, David, that's true. it is, it is cruel and unusual punishment <laughs> in every that sense of true. the word. In this particular instance of David, even if there had been a way to not let him in, like a, in like a way that was kind of win-win or is he's like oh he's at least like um, the elements took him away to the zoo he's, the, he's a dog that the chi are taking care of Ooh. you know like there's there are other ways out right yeah i feel like it's it's bad and we yeah. can talk more about the killing versus not i mean i think it's not a fate worse than death for me yeah but for david i think it is hmm, that might be true just given as ted says the sort of textual evidence of his terror and fear and despair yeah um, i mean worse than death is a pretty large thing it's certainly very 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 bad and the book really drives home how bad it is like it the book isn't trying to make it like and then we found a good solution where right. like no one had to well, die yay so i feel like it's even the books have had if it, they've had one theme as a series to this point it's where there's life there's hope oh that's and so true we can we can 
fight for another day as long as my mom's still alive, as long yeah. as we're all still alive, as long as Tobias is still alive, it's okay that he's stuck as a bird. Mm-hmm. And to me, the ending of this book is the Animorph saying, at least he's alive, and showing how naive that moral lesson is. Huh. I, I feel like I, this is the line that I feel like they cross in this book, is that just because David's alive doesn't mean there's hope for him or hope for the Animorphs. And the th- it's like all of this mounting huh. struggle that they've been going through, especially since like book 15 or so, culminates in this moment where they're like, actually, there are no, there's no way to get out of this with clean hands. And maybe the this like endless struggle isn't uh isn't going to be worth it interesting i was a couple points ago i was going to quibble with your thing where the ending is like well he made it cuz it doesn't read that way to me at all it's you know it to me there's no like i guess david survived it's just we never heard from him again not directly but months later i heard some kid at school talking about the rock yeah. and then the voice crying no no like that seems like it. such a note of horror like and Rachel's talked about how it's haunting her like it haunts her it's haunted her ever since yeah like, maybe maybe thing. I overstated it I but think, I, I just yeah. mean the point is like he, the point at the end of the books he would be better off dead and the mm-hmm. the books have never said that before yeah and they don't really say it now like, I mean we're reading into that like but. um arguably what they did to Alarin is worse than what they did to David right yeah. but it's like a totally different it's a totally different context mm-hmm. that's interesting the other thing about the ending being uh, very sort of showing how hypocritical they are, I, I also wanted to quibble with that just a little bit because I think there is a sense that what we're what we see is how hard it is on them, but mm-hmm. not that the choice would, itself was hypocritical, even though I think it is. And the only reason I say that is there's a bit earlier where David is talking about his kind of quote-unquote morals um, insofar as he has any. And he says, uh, I'm not a murderer, you know. I wouldn't kill a human. Now a bird, a tiger, sure. Because again, this kid is not okay. Nope. But I think there's there's a line that they're drawing between David's behavior and the Animorphs' behavior. Mm. That they may be they may be bad, but they would never kill a fellow human in cold blood. Now we have to talk about the definition of human and like what it actually means to kill somebody in cold blood and all of that. But I, I think that is that was my interpretation of that. I mean, they've Wait, been. Sorry, can you just repeat the quote that you quoted? Because I missed the first part of it. I'm not a murderer, you know. I wouldn't kill a human. Now a bird, a tiger, right. sure. I'm not a murderer. Right. Okay, continue. Yeah, so they face this dilemma with Joe Bob Finestre, right? They're like, he is killing. presumably innocent human every three days we talked at the time about how we decided they would be within their rights to kill him because this is not the kind of thing where you could ever turn him over to justice like they are operating so far outside of that context um and i feel like this is the same sort of situation where he is actively attempting to kill them and they don't have any recourse to a justice system and interestingly, it gets called out in sort of a weird way. Um, David has just figured out what they're trying to do to him. And he's like, you can't do this. And Jake says, you tried to kill us. You threatened to turn us over to Visser Three, not to mention what you've done to Sadler's family. You can't judge me, David cried. You're not God. Which was a really interesting, like, mm-hmm. interesting call out to God in a series that doesn't do that, really. Uh, interesting, like, 
idea from David that no one can judge anyone else except mm-hmm. God. What a weird idea. And the books seem to be saying, basically, yeah, they can judge him. They are within their rights to do this. Well, I don't think so because yeah. of the way they respond in that moment. So Jake is the <laughs> first one to reply to him because he's yeah. like, um, David, we fought the Yorks for a long time now. It seems like forever, Jake said wearily. We're not going to let you beat us. We are going to save the human race if we can. There are larger issues, more important than Jake looked at Cassie helplessly. He shrugged and made a face like he couldn't stand hearing himself talk. And then Rachel jumps in. We're doing to you what you were trying to do to us. Law of the jungle. Eat or be eaten. I don't think she believes that, though. Because that's right. That's like part of her whole speech. No need for all of us to hang around here. I can handle this. It won't bother me. It'll bother you guys. Like, I think she's putting on a persona. I, I think that's really insightful. Yeah, Rachel's trying to be, she's trying to be the ruthless one for the rest of the group. She's embracing yeah. this role, right? Yeah. She's saying, I can take it, you guys can't. But the group as a whole doesn't have a better answer. Jake is trying to say, oh, it's for the greater good, but he doesn't feel that that is true, right? Yeah. He's he's yeah. really struggling. Cassie can't offer up anything else, certainly in this moment, because she, she planned the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. We, we should mm-hmm. talk about that more. Um, yeah. And so I feel like, it's interesting that you talk about they have no recourse to the justice system because, like, certainly, like, maybe if Axe was a little more experienced, he could say, like, okay, Jake, well, this is what you do. We set up, like, a Under David's guilty of war crimes yeah. and we should kill, like, we have authority, blah, blah, you know, like, they could do this kind of, like, fake justice thing. And, like, it, the question is sort of, like, is going through the motions of that any better mm-hmm. than not, you know, because they really are just a band of six people doing whatever they want to do. But... I, I feel like the um, the animorphs don't have a better answer than let's not think about it and move yeah. on. Well, it's so it feels to me so justified, and it's also so horrible, and both of those things are true. And I feel like I don't feel like the book. Maybe you guys disagree. I don't feel like the book portrays it as this was an unjustified, overly cruel decision. Maybe like specifically not letting him instead of killing him. But I feel like what it is is that. It was a justified decision, and it's also so hard on them that they kind of can't even let themselves justify it, like because it is so horrible. It is horrible, even though it is justified, and because both of those things are true, they can't just like come up with a clean justification that like wipes it off their slates. That's interesting. I think. I mean, I think where I come down on it personally is that I think it would be justifiable to kill him in cold blood more so than what they do to him. Mm-hmm. But I agree that the choice that they make here is the one that protects them, at least everyone but Rachel and Axe, the most. And, like, they can, for them, not getting their hands dirty in that way is so yeah. important to struggling forward that, mm-hmm. like, being hypocritical is more <laughs> useful than owning the, the badness of what they're doing. Um, yeah, and we've talked before about how maybe the decision they made in 16 was just the one they needed for, like, self-preservation, for group preservation. And and maybe that's legit. Like, they're having to do all these horrible things, and maybe it actually is a reasonable justification to say, if this makes us feel better about ourselves. I mean, David doesn't deserve any kind of good treatment at this point. Like, And if this way of dealing with him lets us get past it better than this other way of dealing with it would, I mean... I feel like he's the murderer. They're the ones who have to go on and keep fighting for the freedom of humanity. That feels kind of okay as a balance to me. Right. Yeah. It's. In, I mean, it's really interesting. So there are a couple things. Um, I think we like we can agree to disagree about the like 
how bad is the Nafla thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. there are a couple of other... I don't feel strongly about it being great. I mean... No, no, no. I, I'm just saying, like, I feel like that could kind of go in circles. It's like, would it be better to kill him or not? Yeah. Um, but there are a couple of other things in the ending that I wanted to, like, bring up. So one is that we've touched on it a little bit already, but it's it's been a theme throughout the books. The, the, the memory of doing bad things mm. being almost mm-hmm. as bad or worse than the actions you're taking themselves, mm-hmm. right? So... Cassie maybe being the exception, she cares a lot about what she does and not what people think of her or what she can, like, remember. Yeah. Rachel before has been very much like, I don't want... Even in this book, she's like, I, I hated that other people saw me as more ruthless than I saw myself. Like, if I own it, it's okay. But, like, I don't yeah. want to be, like, seen as naive and, like, I don't want people to think that I'm some, I'm some monster, you know, like... But at the end, when she basically tries to like claim the moral low ground and say i can take this the rest of you get out of here she's trying to protect them right mm-hmm. um she says they're waiting for two hours but that two hours of horror will last forever in my mind if i live a hundred years i will still hear his cries his threats his pleading each night before sleep takes me and beyond sleep in my dreams so at the end rachel's saying the, that memory that is haunting her is what hurts it's not what she had to do to him. She feels fine about that. She knows it was necessary and it had to be done. Hmm. It's not the responsibility of the choice. But the thing that is haunting her is the, like, I guess, like, reluctant empathy that she felt or, like, just the the horror of the actual, that, that moment, right? Mm-hmm. And um, in 10, Marco was like, you know, the, that battle was so bad. It was so violent. But I'm already starting to forget. And the mm-hmm. reason Eric has to be a pacifist is because he can never forget the horrible things that he's doing, right? And so, for Rachel at least, this the, the thing she's doing to David is, like, worse than every battle that she's been in put together. Mm-hmm. Assuming that you take the text of this literally, that she's, mm-hmm. like, having daily nightmares about it. I actually, one thing that I wanted to bring up about this passage in particular is that the first thing that happens... Um, in the first chapter, Rachel is asleep and dreaming, and she's dreaming about being at the mall and trying to find clothes that fit her in a size 312, and ha ha ha, I don't wear a size 312, but I was in my elephant morph. And so it's kind of this, like, funny, lighthearted dream mm-hmm. that she has at the beginning, and then at the end, it turns out that's not going to be what she dreams about anymore. Yeah. And part of the dream is... Um, she looks down and there's like a kid in the orange hoodie and someone's like, oh my God, she killed Kenny. Hilarious. <laughs> it's great. It's also brilliant because it sets up, by the end of the first chapter, we've established the stakes, which are Rachel wants to kill David. Mm-hmm. And the whole mm-hmm. the whole through line of the book is, is she going to kill David or not? Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. I love, I love the like, oh my God, she killed Kenny thing just to like plant that seed early on. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. Really nice foreshadowing. Um, so something, something else that you said made something click for me about what they're doing and, like, a, the particular way in which they're protecting each other, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it occurs to me that what I think would have been the more honest choice, which would be, like, sort of setting up a show trial and executing David, mm-hmm. like, I feel like that would have been that would have been better overall. They can't do that because um, Cassie wouldn't have been okay with it. She couldn't mm-hmm. have kept going. Um, mm-hmm. Because Cassie is the one who figures out how to achieve the victory right and so even if she's the only one who doesn't want to get her hands dirty they have Mm -hmm. to like protect her if if rachel had said okay now that we got you i'm just gonna step on him and kill him because he's he's like a rat 
like that would have broken Cassie in like a pretty fundamental way. Right. Yeah. And um, they even say like Rachel says, so yeah, for Cassie doing this to David was an improvement over the alternatives. See, no one was going to have to die. Yeah. And then Rachel goes on to say, but David's life would end just the same. Um, and so would Sadler's, right? So David had briefly been impersonating Jake and Rachel's cousin, this miraculous, he was in a coma and then suddenly he's up and moving again. Um, and so then Rachel thinks eventually they would find the real Sadler's body and they would know that at least for them, there was no such thing as a miracle. So yeah, there's like, no such thing as a miracle for the Animorphs either. Yeah, and it's doubling down on this where there's life, there's, there's hope thing, right? And this is actually pretty callous of Rachel, but when she's visiting Sadler in the hospital, she's like, I feel like it would be a mercy to let him die um, yeah. rather than have him be hooked up in this in this dreadful, dreadful state. Um, yeah, so, and she kind of revises her own thinking on that. Well, I, I think it's a, it parallels the ending where, mm. like, Sadler's fake life, right, is actually not is not a, a good way out. So giving David this second life as a rat, it's not a good way out. Better just to kill him. Although, I mean, right after she thinks that, she's like, but, you know, later I learned that actually that was probably pretty dumb since, let me actually find that passage. Sorry. Oh yeah, please do. Okay. Yeah. So I guess this is like a previous visit or something because he's not hooked up this time, I guess. Uh, Sadler was in the bed farthest from the door. I took one look at him and thought, okay, I believe in mercy killing. No one should have to be so helpless. But I guess that was dumb because later I heard from one of the doctors that more than 95% of even the most messed up kids who go into the PICU come out alive, which is kind of reinforcing the where there's life, there's hope thing. It's sort of the opposite of what you were just saying where like, yeah, no one should be this helpless. They should have just killed him. The book is saying no, actually, most of the time people in that situation are fine. I'm just saying, I'm not, yeah, <laughs> like literally, obviously, I'm not trying to be like Rachel's okay to have no empathy for kids in the ICU. But I'm saying thematically, at the end of the book, I think that David, in his helpless, ratty state, he's better off dead. I just yeah, I but like the, the book, as that. soon as they made that point about like maybe they'd be better off dead, but no, they like rebutted yeah, okay, it. Okay, ninety five percent of wrath not lets <laughs> that the animals that the animorphs entrap and <laughs> and put on this rock have a happy life. David's just in that five percent. You know, you're totally right. You're totally right. It's fine. David just got unlucky. Thanks, Ted. I felt the sincerity of that. I also kind of am okay with him having a fate worse than death. Let's Ooh, talk that's about that. an interesting, like that he doesn't deserve the mercy of death. He deserves <laughs> he doesn't to suffer because of what he did to them. Interesting, because I am a bad person, but also I really hate him. Oh, he lied. thought he killed Tobias. He tried to kill Tobias. He tried to kill Tobias. He, he tried, tried to kill him. Like an evil mastermind. I guess he never. No, he did actually. Yep. He never tried to kill Marco, oddly. That is yeah. weird. <laughs> he did take his place and lock him in the closet all night. That's true. I have true. to say, I have a really vivid memory of being so horrified by that moment when you find out Marco is David yeah. and Marco Morph. Because it's this thing where, like, Axe and Rachel... So Axe and Rachel have had this weird, like, sort of tag team thing going on. There's, like, they're never hanging out together. Mm-hmm. In Axe books, Rachel's always the one who gives him the hardest time, right? But so they're, they're kind of this, like, odd couple. And they're going... Cassie was staying with Jake. Jake's out of commission. Tobias is completely MIA, presumed dead. And so they're going to get Marco, who's the last the last one. And mm-hmm. then they see Marco sleeping in bed. And they thought speak at him. And he gets up. And it's like a normal reaction. And then Axe swoops down through the window. 
and David and Marco Morph just hits him with a baseball bat. And Axe's beak, like, explodes, and he falls to the lawn, and you're like, oh my god, David just killed Axe. This is, like, the most horrifying thing that's ever happened. I gasped out loud, like, as I was reading it. It was shocking. One of the things, like, it's always interesting to me, I guess we never really discussed this, but, like, before I reread a book, the things that I think of as, like, these are the, like, most vivid things mm, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake on the floor of the mall and Rachel on the, like, balance beam strut, flying, like, flying towards that window with, like, David and Marco Moore for the baseball bat, Rachel with the fork in his ear. Yeah. And Cassie crying because she came up with a plan to yeah. not let him. Those are, like, the things for this book for me. And, yeah, the, um... For me, also, it's not. It's sort of in this book because I think of it as a Rachel thing. But the when Jake says "get Rachel" at the end of yes, the last book, absolutely. that's like that's the thing that's burned into my mind about yeah. the David books. And we might have Rachel's. to do a terrible thing too. Get Rachel. Yeah, is that the thing we should talk about? Next? Let's talk about that next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that's a so big thing. Here's I'll I'll throw another gauntlet out there. I think the climax of the book is the conversation between Jake and Rachel in the hospital. I feel like. The rest of it, where they're, like, entrapping David, is all kind of, like, um, tying up loose ends or whatever. But mm-hmm. this, it's so much about Rachel coming to terms with being the person that Jake sent for when mm-hmm. he decided they had to, quote-unquote, destroy David. Um, and that this, this like, moment of reconciliation they have in the hospital is, like, to me, the, the big conclusion of the David trilogy. Okay, so this conversation, I love it so much. It's when... So Jake and Rachel have, they've gone to visit Sadler in the hospital and they suddenly realize that, so Sadler is back on his feet. He's a perfect, perfectly healed, you know, it's a miracle. The doctors can't believe it. And Jake suddenly realizes, oh no, I mentioned Sadler to David earlier and he had this really weird reaction to it. He's, he's morphed Sadler to have this new life and he loves all the attention people are lavishing on him. And Jake and, Jake and Rachel go out uh, into the hospital corridor and they're like, okay, we know where David is right now, which means that we can plan how to take him down. This is our, mm-hmm. the one chance that we know we will have where he will not be in morph listening to us. And, and mm-hmm. they're, they're going to try and like solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And we've decided that Ted is going to be Rachel. Just, yes. You know, so to we're prevent gonna, any we're, this, it's, The scene is so good. We're going to try dramatic reading. Please bear with us. Yeah. I will be playing the part of Rachel. Gray I'll, will be my inner monologue. And I will be Jake. So I don't know. Do you have any ideas? I stopped smiling. What do you mean? I mean, what do you think we should do about him? About David? A nurse came by and flashed an automatic smile. When she was gone, I said, Look, Jake, I don't know what you're getting at. And you know what? I don't think I like what you're thinking about me. What? What's that about? You never answered me before, Jake. I want to know. When David left the cafeteria and I started to go after him, and Cassie said no and you said to let me go, what exactly did you think I would do or say to David? Jake nodded. Ah, that's what this is about. Yeah, that's what this is about. What, do you, what did you expect me to do to David? Did you think I was going to kill him? Did you? Is that why you let me go after him? Is that why you sent Axe for me? Because you think I'm some kind of violent nut you can call in whenever you need some dirty work done? Look, Rachel, every one of us has his strengths and his weaknesses. And my strength is being some kind of crazy killer? I practically shrieked. I didn't say that. You didn't not say it. Okay, fine, Rachel. You want to do this? Fine. I think you're the bravest member of the group. I think in a bad fight, I'd rather have you with me than anyone else. But yeah, Rachel, I think there's something pretty dark down inside you. I think you're the only one of us who would be disappointed if all this ended tomorrow. Cassie hates all this. Marco has personal reasons for being in this war. Axe just wants to go home and fight the Yerks with his own people. Tobias? Who knows what Tobias wants anymore? But you, Rachel, you love it. It's what makes you so brave. It's what makes you so dangerous to the Yerks. 
I let his words blow past me. I heard them. I'd feel them later, but I didn't want to feel them right now. You did think I'd go kill David the other day. My God. No, I thought you'd scare him. I thought you'd say the things it took to scare him. I thought you'd say whatever you had to. And I thought that if any of us, David would be most likely to fear you. An attendant pushed a wheeled bed slowly past. I tried to look at myself the way Jake saw me. Was it true? Did I love this war? I worry about you, Rachel. More than any of the others except Tobias. I feel like this war is to you like booze is to an alcoholic. Like, I don't know what will happen to you if it all ends someday. What are you going to do? Go back to being the world's greatest shopper? Go back to gymnastics and getting good grades? I laughed harshly. You worry about me? What do you think you're going to do? Jake, you're a leader now. You make life and death decisions all the time. You've learned to do that. And I added bitterly. You've learned to use people. You use them for their strengths and their weaknesses. Worry about me? Like when all this is over, you'll go back to being a mediocre basketball player and a decent student? You're not even in high school yet, and you're the most wanted person in the Yurk Empire. Mr. Three would trade his blade ship for your head on a stick. We both fell silent for a while. From inside, there came the drifting sound of laughter. David was back from the bathroom. Demorphed, remorphed, and good for another two hours. He could keep that up for weeks, maybe years. At night, he could demorph and sleep. In the dark, he'd look enough like Sadler. At school, he could demorph and remorph between periods in the stalls of the boys' bathroom. No need to worry about clothing. He'd fit Sadler's. The creep. The evil little creep. My own emotions brought me back to the moment. I'm not going to lose it, Jake. I said, staring down at the polished linoleum. Maybe you're right. Maybe I do kind of get off on it all. But I still know where the line is. And I won't cross it. I am not some kind of nut. I know what I'm doing. Jake nodded. I know you do. But everyone draws their own line. Cassie's is in one place. Marco's is somewhere else. Yours is in another. Mine? He made a failed attempt at a smile. For example, see, I used to think my line was drawn at using my friend, my cousin, to do my dirty work. Guess that turned out not to be true. Sorry, Rachel. I have no idea why I did what happened next, because I'm not really that kind of person. But I hugged Jake, and he hugged me back. And then he whispered in my ear, Okay, now let's figure out how we take this creep down. You know it, cousin. He said. Well, that was fun. Yeah, I think that is the... I mean, first yeah. of all, we should obviously be doing these audio books. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that this is, that this is the climax. I agree. Because the whole book is leading up to this conversation. Rachel's constantly thinking about, why did he tell Axe to go get me? What does Jake think of me? And what does it say about me that that was the right decision? Mm-hmm. Um, because she knows it was the right decision. I mean, he... They Axe wakes her up, and she her first reaction is how mad she is, and then she finds out about Tobias, and she's just enraged, and mm-hmm. she's basically like, you know, just just get me to him, let me get my hands on him, and and I'm, I'll take him out. Yeah, she's like, I'll destroy him. No, not destroy. That's a weasel word. I will kill him. Yes. And yeah, then, I love yeah. I love that moment so much because they're like, this is the thing that I've kind of, I've kind of given Jake a hard time about sometimes. And even in the last book, he's like, I wanted to destroy David. I wanted revenge. And so it says something about Rachel that she's so willing to go there. Like she she gets it. It might make yeah. her feel queasy, but she like is really clear. I'm gonna kill him. She doesn't beat around the bush. Yeah. She really has yeah. no patience for that. Yeah. And because she knows that. She worries so much about what that says about her. Mm-hmm. What does that mean that that's her reaction? It was really interesting to me. On this reread, I don't think it was something I really realized before. The thing that really bothers her that she does is that she threatens David's parents. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that's not a great thing to do. But he 
believes himself to have murdered one of your friends. He tried to murder one of your friends. And all you're doing is trying to scare him by threatening his parents. That's not actually that bad a thing to do. Like, it's not like she actually did hurt his parents. But the reason it... Cassie couldn't do it, right? The reason it works is because David believes that Rachel would yeah. do it, right? And I think so it's because Rachel her. believes that Rachel will do it. And she kind of wants to do anything she can to hurt him. Like, I was thinking about, like, why does this bother her so much? And I think it is... It's not, like, the action itself because, yeah, anyone, like, could threaten him and scare him and that wouldn't be a bad thing. Like, him being scared is not a bad outcome right I, now, but I think it must be the emotion and intention behind it for her. I, I do think it's a reputational thing with her. Mm. Like, I think it's I think it's that... Because she almost, um, of course... It's, it's almost like it comes... It, it's such second nature to her to do ruthless and extreme things to protect her friends mm-hmm. that... She doesn't feel guilty about it, but she is becoming more aware that other people see her as different. And so it's not that everybody naturally feels so protective of their friends that they would go to extremes to save them. It's that something is unique about Rachel. Something's different about her. Maybe something's wrong with her that Mm -hmm. she would go that far. So I think that, I think that of all the Animorphs, she's the one that Jake lets off the leash and she's the Mm -hmm. one that can most successfully intimidate David. Like, that that bothers her. And I think she wants to... It's not that she wants to pull herself back. It's almost that she wants to say, we're all in it together. Like, you guys are just as responsible for the stuff I do as everyone else, mm-hmm. right? Like, she she's... she's uh, I, don't, I don't see her as being that worried about what she does or wants to do as about, you know, what it says about her. Yeah, I think that that's true. It's not just a reputational thing because she's really worried about it before anyone else knows. Like she has this whole like long yeah. Thing about it's what not. It it's mean? not either or. It's not. Yeah. It's or. not. Yeah. So it's not just. Oh no! People know I did this thing. It's I did this thing. Yeah. It's what does it say about me rather than what will the bad impact on the world be? Right. It's, it's almost like oh, doesn't everyone have these kinds of urges? And then it's like oh wait, Cassie actually doesn't. Like actually, she would never do the things that I want to do. I don't know if she ever thinks that doesn't everyone have these kind of urges. She does think, like, would I have had this kind of urge before any of this happened? Mm. And she has trouble remembering who she was and is... Yeah, I want to find the bit where she thinks about... She realizes how much she's changing, how much the war is changing her. And this is the part that was missing from 17. Like, she was thinking a lot about her own fear, but she wasn't thinking about, like, how much it is changing her to do these acts of violence and recklessness. And, and yeah, there is a piece that's, like... She feels stupid for not... Yeah, she says, what made me feel stupid was that I hadn't realized I was changing, but everybody else obviously did. Jake did. And, you know, afterward I'd seen Cassie. She hadn't asked me what had happened. She didn't ask me what I had said to David. She'd known. I I think, yeah, what I said before was wrong. I'm looking through my notes here again. I think it's, it's not that she thinks everyone else is in the same place as her. It's that her first instinct is to be like, oh, well, I mean, I've been through all these battles. Of course that would change me. And then she stops to think, but it didn't change Cassie. It didn't change Axe and Marco. Would Tobias have done what I have done? And that's kind of, that's one of the things that really unsettles her, right? So it's it's not that she actually um, thinks everyone else is like her, but it's it's like she she hasn't thought about it. And when she realizes she's that different, it bothers her. And I do feel like there's a component, particularly with regard to her feelings about Jake asking this of her, where she feels like everybody else doesn't do it 
because she does it. Like they're putting it all on her. Yeah. And it's it's really notable that at the end she takes it all on herself and sends yeah. them all away. I had a a question I think about the parents thing in particular. So I, I agree that that's what bothers her, but I wondered how much that has to do with what we learned about David in the previous chapter, which is when he's threatening them with exposure mm-hmm. in order to get the blue box. And Cassie, who's being quite manipulative about it, mm-hmm. she sits next to him and, and um, is trying to be very understanding and like, but like fake understanding. And mm-hmm. she says, um, shall I tell them David or would you like to? David wants the box so he can ransom his parents. Isn't that right, David? You want Visser 3 to release your parents so you can have a home again. For a brief moment, there was something vulnerable on the face mm-hmm. David had copied from Marco, but then his eyes hardened. And and then David immediately goes back to being the creepazoid he is. But that's immediately before she saw that weakness. So she sees the weakness. He walks away. She goes after him. And she says, oh, it's your parents? What would you do if something happened to your parents? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think there's something there that makes that manipulation worse you know that it's that like the killer instinct thing where she saw like the chink in her enemy's armor and she drove a fork into it right and and also that jake immediately is like let her go right like it's it's, it's not just that she (laughs) had the instinct but that jake knows her so well that he's like okay this is gonna work out yeah uh so can we talk about the the fork thing yeah in more detail gray you're uh, you look very uncomfortable. It made me <laughs> so uncomfortable. Do you want to describe what Rachel does? Sure, fine. Um, so she threatens his parents. He swings a punch at her. She dodges the punch. And then she says, I grabbed his head with one arm and jabbed the fork against his ear. I fought a nauseating urge to twist the fork to make him scream in pain. And then she threatens him and walks away. And like... Yeah, and the threat is... You want a war between you and us? That's one thing. We'll play that out. But if you sell us out to Visser 3, your little family will never get put back together again. Never. Which honestly feels like such a legitimate threat to make. Like, please do not sell us out to the evilest person in the galaxy. Thanks. It's a good request, but the fork and the ear and the... Oh my goodness. And then when she's thinking about who she was, right, later she's like, I've been very into gymnastics. Uh... Shopping. I guess I'd never exactly been a happy-go-lucky party girl, but I tried to imagine myself back then and tried to imagine grinding the tines of a fork into someone's ear while I threatened his family. And then she <laughs> she goes on to be like, yeah, you know, like, I wasn't abused. I'm not on drugs. Like, she kind of goes through these things. Like, what, are, what excuse do I have that I did this? The other thing that really struck me about what you just said is when she describes it, this nauseating urge to twist the fork. Mm. It reminds me of in... Um, when Cassie talks about Marco preparing to kill Karen in book 19, the awful violence mm-hmm, sickness mm-hmm. that you feel. And I feel like there's a lot of Rachel feeling that, like really describing it in this book. Yeah, yeah. Like, and th- she has this kind of cat and mouse scene with David earlier where she's a lot, like she's hot and cold, both like full of rage and then like really cool, ruthless, I'm ready to kill David. I, I will admit there's something about her doing that to him that I find in a way satisfying because of his comment where... Um, she says, I don't need a morph to handle you. And he says, you know, maybe you forget this sometimes, but you are a girl, Rachel. And this thing where... And she like, says, and you're a worm. <laughs> yeah, it's a great comeback. But like this thing where he just sort of assumes like, oh, I'm facing a girl. She's not in morph. And this is sort of, he has this different, he thinks people are completely different in morph and out of it. And which, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. the physical capabilities are a little different, but like 
she so completely physically dominates him without morphing, which even aside from like the sickness that like she feels from the violence, like all the implications there. I just think that's really great. Yeah. He also calls her a crazy witch later. And I that's not what he said. Appreciate that. Yeah, that is not what he said. It's definitely not. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good point. And I, something that we talked about in, I think 20 in the first of the, the of this trilogy was David's potential role in the group and who he would clash most with and we were talking about him and Rachel and how like do they have are their personalities similar and you know how would that change if he was a girl how would that change if he was a different person if he was Julia instead of David I think was how we put it and I don't remember which one of you said that but one of you said something about like the the Ted was saying that uh he thought he was very similar to Rachel. And I actually yeah. don't agree. Actually, you were the one who said it first. Oh, okay. And that's why I was bringing yeah. it up. But I think yeah. we, both, we uh, both saw that connection. Yeah, and I, my theory is that's why it, this trilogy ends with a Rachel book. Yeah. Is that they are foils in a, in a really interesting way. And that might be true. One of the ways in which they're foils is they both have these dark, violent sides, but Rachel has empathy. Yeah. And David does not. And so their violence can... I mean, in, in this book, they are matched over and over and over again, right? They're mm-hmm. fighting each other in Bird Morse. He makes her be his guide through, like, to find the thing at the end. He goes after her in the dolphin and, and orca morph. I mean, he's he is going after her. He shows up in her bathroom when he's, like, in morph, when oh, she's getting yeah. ready mm-hmm. to That's to another one of those things her. that I remember about the David trilogy. Yeah, that part really just... I found that a really visceral scene of of just like fear, and I I think they are matched in that way. And Rachel's struggle throughout the book is not it doesn't say this, but sort of subconsciously I think is please tell me I'm not David. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also a super gendered thing, which isn't called out very hard in the book, but like the one of the reasons that that he like picks up on this is like she is such a like strong and powerful fighter and she is a girl and i mean we very rarely have i mean marco's always hitting on rachel and it's problematic but he points out like you are a girl in a way meaning that therefore you are weak which we almost never see in the series um and the crazy witch insult very gendered um i don't think he said witch but either way very gendered insult and the shower like bathroom scene was incredibly like go ahead and take your shower, he says. And she's like, oh, crap, I'm not doing that. Like, this, he he negs her later. He, yeah. <laughs> he has the thing where, like, if you weren't such a harsh person, I would invite you to, like, come away with me and start this new band. And it's just, there's, like, so much, like, incel mentality about him that comes out really strongly in 21. But, like, there's a lot of, like, pickup artist culture stuff about it there's a there's just so much like toxic masculinity yes and i think the 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 really interesting thing is that their whole plan to defeat david hinges on how easy he is to manipulate because of the toxic masculinity right like one cassie is the one who has the insight to see it's plain as day you can push these buttons and he'll do this thing but the whole plan centers around the idea that they uh rachel has to act really humiliated in front of him and that that's gonna make him feel like a big man Mm -hmm. and then he will 
choose to victimize Rachel over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. that's so predictable that it allows them to kind of like lay this trap. So I think we talked a little bit about like, why is David a guy? Like, I don't know how much, <laughs> I don't know how much they sort of had this ending in mind or like, Oh, I'm it, sure they knew. Right. But like, that's like, um, I was being disingenuous when I brought that up because it's something I would have brought up if I hadn't known the end of the trilogy. Knowing the end of the trilogy, it's so obvious to me why. If they're going to portray someone as this awful, they were going to choose like the most privileged option. They were going to choose like the white male character to like make into the worst person ever. Do you want to go into that more? Like, I think it also it's like obviously it goes without saying, but the listeners <laughs> didn't read the book, so maybe you want to say more about it. I don't know. It is one of those things that feels really obvious. This thing where like. If you're going to show someone to be the worst specimen of humanity, like, pick a group of people who are already overrepresented in media so that it doesn't become a thing that is about this race or about this gender instead of just a thing about this person. And, yeah, pick a group of people that has enough privilege that, like, the only people saying bad things about them are people weaker than they are. I think, no, I totally I totally agree with that. But I think what's interesting is that, like, it is his his personal flaws that allow them to manipulate him, but it's mm-hmm. also like so representative of a certain type of toxic masculinity that it's yeah. just it's really interesting that that that's the that those are the buttons that they can push with him, and it's just it's just kind of like we've talked about how the other male animorphs are suffering for some of the same reasons, right? So like it's just it's it's interesting to me that like. Um, they set it up. Not only did they choose a super privileged guy, but they're also like, the thing that brings him down is not that he's a, like, a psychopath or that he's, I don't know, he's been brainwashed or something. It's just that he's, like, a man. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that it's, like, pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty simple at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. Or, and that he's, like, not that bright. You know, I don't know. They're, yeah. he's, he has delusions of grandeur. It's all about character, like Cassie said, in 21. Yeah, there's that thing where Rachel, like, they meet with David at a Taco Bell to be like, okay, we'll take you to get the blue box. And Rachel's supposed to be playing this character, and she's like, did I overplay it? Did I, like, act too, like, downtrodden and humiliated? And he just, like, like, goes and, like, smears some food on her sleeve and laughs. Oh, yeah. It's just... No, there is no way to overplay it for him because he has this grandiose vision of himself as, like, towering over everybody. I think what I'm trying to say is that, like, David is so easy to manipulate, but I feel like Marco would be almost as easy to manipulate by, like, a girl in the sharing. You know, like, like it would be so easy yeah. to push Marco's buttons and see what his weak but points are. But I feel are. like Marco's buttons are are different. Maybe I'm giving Marco too much credit, but I feel like Marco's buttons would be, this girl really likes me, rather than like, aha, a girl I can like crush under my thumb. I can see that. So much of David is about how smart he, like he thinks he's so smart. He thinks he is great and, and so talented. And now you've given me this power that I've always wanted Mm -hmm. and I'm going to use it to humiliate the person that I'm like most afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I can't try and get my point across without sounding like I'm defending incels. So, like, I'm just, just going to see. Whatever, I, I don't know if what I said came across well. But like, obviously, Marco isn't as bad as David. No, no, no. no he's not. Can I actually... Uh, so, listen. I, as, we, as we know, I am often harsh towards Marco. Yes, yes. He had two moments in this book that... It didn't entirely redeem him. <laughs> Actually, so um, now David has a Marco morph. Mm-hmm. And 
he has oh, what an invasion. Yeah, he showed up at school in the markup morph to talk to them, and so they're they're worried about it. So the next time they get together, um, they are all at Cassie's house, and Rachel walks in and she says, "You know, I assumed it was Marco, not David anymore." So she says to him, "Marco, you know you're a toad." Kiss me and I'll become a prince, he said without hesitation. (laughs) I'll be the prince formerly known as Toad. You know you want me. You can't help it. After all, you're a female and I'm, well, I'm me. She goes, yeah, that's the real Marco. (laughs) Um, And Cassie says, yeah, we all did the same kind of thing. Uh, I asked him to tell me what it was like when we morphed Trout just to test his memory. Marco replies, I answered, it wasn't bad, except that the cracker crumb coating chafed a little bit and I was allergic to tartar sauce. Now can you all stop playing that game? I'm afraid I'll miss a punchline and Rachel will morph to Grizzly and eat me before I have a chance to say anything. So, like, I love that the way they're testing him is his quick responses Uh and how funny he is. I think the whole, like, being an asshole to Rachel is like, yep, that's Marco. Maybe stop being a jerk. I don't know. So, like... In this book, Rachel is constantly running this, like, make fun of Marco or give Marco a hard time, like, routine in her head. Like, the uh, the bit where... Yeah, yeah, it comes up a couple times. But, like, (laughs) the one that really jumped out to me is when... um, Okay, so first of all, they're all at lunch, and they've, like, had the worst night of their life. Rachel says something like... It's like her skin was vibrating. She was so tired, her skin was vibrating. And then she's, like, snarling at them. She's like, the only reason I wasn't snarling anymore was because I was too tired. (laughs) Right? It's, like, (laughs) such a grouch. But then um, Marco comes sauntering up, and then Riker-style steps over the, like, cafeteria chair to sit in front of them. And then immediately is like, oh, crap, it's David and Marco Morph. And then... Both Rachel and Jake are like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and Rachel's like, oh, there's a second Marco. And then they, they signal to Marco to not come over here. And then Rachel's like, yeah, I mean, you know, there's probably a joke somewhere about, like, two Marcos at one table being too much for, you know, I, I'm too tired to figure it out right now. <laughs> so, like, You're yeah, right, she has yeah, a constantly she's just, running, she's constantly like, background program. Yeah. The other moment was, like, when she sees when she's approaching Marco's room and she's like hey Marco are you alone in there she's like expecting him to like have some kind of like comeback or sneer about it right Uh so I don't know like maybe it's only she's realizing it as she says it oh man I I set him up there or maybe she's like intentionally like provoking him you know I do feel like certainly that comment he made about the like he wasn't being serious and it feels like kind of like a bit they have going yeah. Yeah. a bit that is rooted in problematic dynamics absolutely but like it's definitely rooted in toxic masculinity but also like it is part of a, a sort of their own little subroutine they okay. also they also have the great moment when they're all manipulating david like marco and rachel have this like back and forth fight yeah. it feels really real but like they they're obviously just doing it to... and it's sort of like it's the dark side of like what it would be like if they actually didn't get along yeah So Marco doesn't come into this book a lot. Like, he's not very actively involved, despite being the person who disliked David first. Um, He is not very actively involved in this book. And the focus is really on Rachel and her relationship with Jake. And it occurred to me there was no reason why David couldn't be in Marco more for the, like, fork scene. But, like, he demorphs even though he's walking through the school. And she's like, he must have been really close to the time limit to do that. Like, clearly they deliberately had David go back into his own body so that there would be no added layer of, like, Rachel threatening someone oh, who looked like yeah. Marco. Yeah, Because that would have added a different layer of, like, I was willing to do this to the face of my friend, even though it wasn't really him. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just wanted to point no, that out. that's so interesting. So after that climactic scene where Jake and Rachel are like, okay, how are we going to take this creep out? Turns out they can't come up with a plan. <laughs> and, but then later Cassie comes up with this really elaborate plan 
to feed David's ego and string him along to the point where they can entrap him. And so you get for like the final, you know, four chapter, or it's like the last six chapters of the book and, you know, before the plan is revealed or something, you get these awful, awful scenes where uh, the Animorphs are basically like, well, we give up. David won, you know, like, this is everything so terrible, you know, like, Rachel, what a mess, you know, like, it's all your fault, like, and they're they're still pretending that Tobias is dead, David doesn't know that he's he's still out there, right? So that's kind of your big clue as, like, a reader, that they're kind of, like, play-acting or whatever, but uh, they're all being really terrible to each other, and uh, Cassie has, like, masterminded the whole thing to make sure that David ends up exactly where they want him to go. Yeah, I this scene where Marco and Rachel have this altercation, they're in this barn, Rachel explodes, she's like, hey, you think we like this? You think I personally like this? I hate that creepazoid. I would destroy him if I could. But facts are facts, unless you're completely crazy. Marco sneered, I never thought I'd see the day. Fearless Rachel, mighty Xena, warrior princess, humiliated by some kid. You know, they're obviously like playing into his his desire to be seen as like this really powerful enemy and... Um, you're done for, Rachel. No one will ever be impressed by you again. You're a joke. I leaped at him and grabbed him by his throat. Don't push me, Marco, I hissed. He just laughed. You know, I'm glad about this, at least, Marco said. At least David shattered the myth of mighty Rachel. It's a good thing you did survive, because now you have to live with the fact that you got beaten by David. And so interesting, like, it's not that this dynamic is totally absent. Like, they do sometimes get at each other's throats a little. But, like, we've never seen any of this, like, Marco really wanting Rachel to be, like, beaten down and i don't think it's real like i think it all is completely like this is a glimpse into what they are not right though it's also what david thinks they are right it's only that marco likes rachel that he doesn't go like i think he knows he he would know how to hurt someone if he wanted to be bad oh certainly he's not a bad guy yeah um and i also like I wrote down, Jake even gets in on this. He's like, you know, like, I don't like David either, but you got to say, he's smart, brave, and ingenious. You know, like, <laughs> Everyone nods solemnly. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about this a little bit because um, I think we were talking in the last book how Jake takes this approach where he's like, David, you know what? We're all doing it. It's hard for everyone. Maybe especially you and Tobias and Ax or whatever, but it's hard for everyone, but we're doing it for the greater good. So you got to listen to me and I'm your dad, right? <laughs> Uh, it turns out super easy just to manipulate him, you know, like feed his ego and get them to do whatever they yeah. want. The problem they had was not controlling David. The problem was getting a result that they liked, right? Like yeah. you can get David to do whatever you want, assuming you're planning to get rid of him, right? Yeah. Like it's just, it's like they you, could we never saying, have continued being themselves and had David there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, but like the fact that they are all so good at manipulating him once that's the plan is a really remarkable. They they really like, I mean, it's, first of all, it's interesting to me that it's Cassie and that Marco's not at all involved, because I feel like Marco is very clever about this stuff, and I'm surprised that he, I guess he's not that good with people, so that makes sense. Um, but they, the his buttons are so obvious. Like, I feel like, really, they should all have been able to figure it out, but I guess, you know, I they're 13. And in Marco's defense, I bet it's just... Because David, his, like, he's so delusional, his thinking, that mm-hmm. Marco probably can't relate to it in the same mm, way. Right? Yeah. Like, because Marco would never fall for something that just doesn't make sense. Right. right Whereas right. everything they're telling David is pretty absurd. Oh, the cube get, can be disassembled. <laughs> you know, like... Well, they're also, they're just, like, painting this picture of the Anwarfs that David clearly has. And maybe I'm not giving Cassie enough credit, because by this point, we've all thought about it a lot. So we're like, yes, David does have this weird image of the Anwarfs as, like, this clicky 
school thing. The cool um, kids. Yeah. And it's interesting that the, the threat that Jake makes to Rachel in the Taco Bell when they're having this meeting with David is like, you do this or you're out of the Animorphs. Because that is not a threat that like makes any sense in the context of the rest of the series. Well, like, we know about the Animorphs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> First of all, they would, I mean, they would never kick Rachel out for disobeying Jake's order, but also this idea that like, it is such a privilege to belong to this inner core of Animorphs. Like, no, they're all like overcoming their own you know self-preservation instincts just to be here it's it's such a sacrifice to be there for them right there's one other in, in this whole scheme thing um they rachel has the line no one wanted to have time to reflect on what we were doing and what it would mean um and and we we don't um these books always end abruptly and so you know it's not that surprising that it just ends on this moment of haunting horror where david's trapped on the rock but like we have seen in like 16, Jake and Cassie get to have kind of like a normal interaction again, even though they don't talk about their problems. Mm-hmm. Here, we don't get any oh, of the yeah. animorphs decompressing and kind of like, oh, what did we just do? What does this mean? I'm sure that it will have, you know, it will affect future things, but they all have a pretty strong incentive to want to sweep this entire thing under the rug, mm-hmm. right? So it'll be interesting to see what it is like when they have some time to think about it. I wanted to just say, um, so we talked in episode 20 about how David, I mean, we talked in this episode of how David's sort of a foil to Rachel in terms of like the recklessness and violence. And he also has some commonalities with Marco in terms of like, you know, being kind of snarky and sarcastic about stuff. I'll say I don't think he has either of their like strengths really because he doesn't have consistent courage in battle. We've seen, we've seen that, and he also is very bad at jokes. Like <laughs> he does not have Marco's gift for contributing actual humor. Like he he comes up to them. He's in orca morph, and he says, "Hey, I'm Free Willy." David said with a laugh, "Free Willy's hungry." That's not a joke. <laughs> It is not. <laughs> That's not funny in any way. <laughs> he would have been such a pathetic Marco or yeah. Rachel. He could not have taken either of their places. Yeah, and like, and Rachel, as part of this thing, so they have to, she basically takes him underground because the box has been buried in the construction site. And so she leads him through this pipe and then leads him back up into this like steel box trap or whatever. And so she has to kind of like make conversation with him. And she's kind of like, oh, so what are you going to do? He's like, well, I'm going to make my own group of Animorphs, you know. And he's like, well, you know, that seems like it's going to be hard. He's like, no, 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 no. I've got it all figured out. You see, your problem was I was smarter than all of you. I'm only going to recruit people who were stupider than me. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, David. You're but like, it's it's not great. There's, he's so delusional. There's no good ending yeah, for this no, guy. No. I actually have two quick things about the orca scene. Oh, yeah. So they're in a pod of dolphins, and they're leaving from having destroyed the... Um, beach resort thing and on the way out they're like the only thing that can attack that we're really worried about is, is <laughs> killer an, whale it's a killer whale and then they're coming it's not back foreshadowing like, at all oh there's the killer whale <laughs> um so two things one is um uh, cassie's like oh that's that's sort of interesting that's strange uh orcas usually hunt as a pack mm-hmm. and someone out here is well obviously that's david but also david doesn't have a pack Mm-hmm. Oh, they do yeah. and he doesn't. Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. kind of going against that a little bit. Um, and then my other, just this is just a really brief note on this, but um, he goes to chase, he chases Rachel mm-hmm. uh, in his orca morph, and it, it, as she's a dolphin, and she says, 
This was impossible. I was playing tag and I was it. That is not how tag That's works. That's not how tag works. Thank you. <laughs> you are not it. David is it. That's how tag... That's like the thing about being it oh, is yeah. you're the chaser. That's, that's, chaser. that's true. How long has it been since you guys played tag? He's <laughs> busy like, fighting the war. <laughs> no, this is like, like Catherine Applegate at 4 a.m. desperately being like, all right, a game that kids play. Uh, tag. All right, got it. <laughs> and she moves on to the next chapter. Keep going. I thought that was very funny. Another thing about that scene... Uh, Rachel has been antagonizing David. They had this whole thing where he's like, and you threatened my parents. And she's like, no, I didn't. And we should maybe talk about that more. Uh, but then he goes after one of the dolphins and you can't tell where thought speech is coming from. So he goes after Axe and she's like, no, no, David over here. And she like wiggles her tail and she does not exactly something similar, but something similarly protective um, at the beginning of that scene when they're demorphing in the waves and they're going one at a time and Cassie goes first and she's like, Cassie's not a strong enough swimmer. She's like not going to be okay. And Jake's like, no, 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 she's fine. Give her time. And Rachel just starts demorphing to like try to protect her. And you see it again, like more extremely at the end when she makes everyone go away. So she'll be the one monitoring David. She is so protective. Yeah. Like that's how she uses her strength and her bravery. Yeah. Like she's kind of reckless, like when she gets an orca to chase her or demorphs when it's not safe conditions. But yeah, yeah, she does it. I love that scene so much. It's like, so it's, they're approaching, it's their plan to uh, just blow up the resort as rhinos and elephants. But there's a thunderstorm happening as they're arriving. And so the plan had been to morph into the ocean and then, you know, morph, morph out and go in. So when they have to get from seagull to dolphin, it's, they talk about like two story waves and how scary it is, right? So there's this just amazing description of what it's like to be a seagull landing in in an ocean full of two-story waves. And it's like really overwhelming and really great vivid descriptions. And then when she does this heroic thing where she's like, I have to help Cassie, I'm going to demorph. Um, she gets like, she gets lost below the surface of the ocean. And she's like, she's struggling to figure out which way is up. She thinks, have I sunk this far? Um, and then Cassie... Cassie has finished her morph and as a dolphin like helps her up and then the other ones come and uh, help her as well. It She also thinks in this moment like, uh, oh yeah, it, it made sense because Cassie's best at morphing and then uh, he she goes through all the people that Jake, uh, or all the reasons Jake picks on people. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, uh, Jake was using her for a special talent. Like he's Marco for his suspicious mind. Axe for his knowledge of all things alien. Tobias for his raptor eyes and ears. And me. For what? My recklessness? For something dark that lived inside me? Yeah, but to go back to what you were saying about yeah, Cassie Cassie saves her, and like this is kind of the thing about Rachel, and it was also what you were saying, Gray, that like she has a pod, she has a team. Like that's what keeps her from going over the edge. Not only is she using her strength and her like recklessness to protect other people, but like they then save her from what could be really bad consequences. Because that's that's her role in the group, sort of. Mm-hmm. Do the reckless things and yeah. uh, have other people help her out of it. She also, unfortunately, in this moment, uh, when she rallies people to go, she says, let's motor. <laughs> Instead of hauling. She didn't say let's haul. <laughs> Very disappointing. Did, was there not enough hauling in this book? I don't think there was any hauling. <gasps> I'm going to look for it. Maybe they finally got a note from their editor. <laughs> there, there was, there was no, no hauling. Stop U-Haul pulled its uh, sponsorship. <clears throat> Do we want to talk about the um, their attack on the resort? Sure. Is there right? Well, like, what do we have to say about it? I, I have one thing, which is just um, because it, it's the Secret Service of now five nations. Um, and Rachel thinks, I mean, their training must have prepared them for almost anything, but not definitely not for the possibility that two rhinos and four African elephants would come trumpeting and snorting out of a 100 year storm surf. 
And I'm just imagining, like, picture the think pieces <laughs> about this, you know, like, lapse in security as zoo animals terrorize the world's leaders. You know, like, what could have been done? We're Speak to the head of the Secret Service, you know, like, oh, it's like, it got fired. You know, how far down the totem pole do you have to go to find someone who's not accountable for the, like, zoo disaster? <laughs> I really liked this scene just because they kind of needed the release of an all out attack, just like breaking stuff in the middle of this book where they're so helpless. Mm-hmm. Like David is just attacking them and they can't really do anything. And uh, so it was really good timing for, uh, for an all out attack. And I, I realized that and I was like, oh, these authors are good. And then I like a few pages later, I was like, Wow, this is really forced foreshadowing about this creepy island with the rats on it. <laughs> That's right. Okay, yeah. sometimes they really force their foreshadowing, but otherwise, other than that, they're good. Yep. Jake gets to shout charge for the first time, and Marco <laughs>, laughs at him about it. Love that, though. I love, I feel like having David here, like, makes me love the Animorph dynamics, like, mm. even more than usual. Uh-huh. So I'm like, oh, look at them, like, all, like, you know, liking each other and... Having fun in these horrible situations and supporting each other through the horrible situations. I also kind of like that they had the ambition in the last book of maybe we'll reveal ourselves to all the world leaders and we can really change the war. And now they're like, things are so bad. We're so tired. You know, we know how to do. We can just like beat people up and like break things. And like, that's probably going to work, right? Let's just break it and try again later. It's like, you know, they're sort of, they're sort of embracing like, this is the thing we know how to do. Forget about like bat heists and like other things like this let's just go in there rhinos and elephants yeah also they're willing we're just going to double up on the elephant morphs why not four elephants and two rhinos you know it doesn't yeah. have to be a menagerie every time <laughs> yeah, yeah it's so true i really love this is only tangentially related but this is something that i have thought about a lot in the series and like this is a passage i really remember uh when david has started attacking all of them near the beginning of the book Rachel says, I began to realize just how hard this was going to be. Visser 3 had been trying to wipe us out for a long time. He had thousands of human controllers, taxons, hork spacecraft, and all of his own bizarre deadly morphs. We had just the six of us. Only it was just five now, and maybe four. Just us against a person who could become any animal he could touch. A person who could be any living, breathing thing. A flea in your hair, a cat in a tree, a bat in the night. And when you were unprepared, when you were vulnerable, a lion or tiger or bear. I was starting to realize why Visser 3 hated us so much. Mm-hmm. Totally true. And yeah. really, when you think about that and, and about the reign of terror that David um, inflicts on them for yeah. just this book, if they were a team of da- – honestly, if they were a team of Davids, I think they would have taken the Yerks out already. Yeah. Because to some extent, it's their their empathy that is holding them back sometimes from just ruthlessly wiping these people out. Mm. And can you imagine being – you know, having David on board and saying, this is Visser 3, go at him. <laughs> and every time Hello. Visser 3 is anywhere, there's like a, you know, he he's going to be so paranoid. There could be a flea on him at any time learning all about their plans. When is an elephant going to burst through the wall of the Yerk pool? I mean, you just, he, yeah, it would be I mean, terrifying. If right? you, um, it's just making me think you could just like start a cult, right, of, of, kids like David, right? Oh you give gosh. them the morphing power, send them out into the field, they're going to get themselves killed eventually. But if you <laughs> if you give them that, like, dream of glory, right? You know, like, it's oh. like, that, that's, a, that's so interesting, right? Like, I don't think David would do that, though. I think David would fail utterly because he's sort of delusional and very, like, self-aggrandizing and would make stupid mistakes and, you know... We yeah, haven't seen I him think, behave well I in the battle. I think that's right, that he might get killed pretty quickly. Yeah. But... I'm thinking more, like... 
like sort of um, suicide bomber style, mm. right? You get people to you like like I don't know if David has that button to be. I don't pushed. think David would do that. But I'm he, just saying he cares like, about his own life too much for that. I think. Yeah, but I was just thinking like if you if you could get people on board who did not have the compunction about not terrorizing people in flea mm-hmm. morph. You could do what he does to Rachel in the bathroom to Visser three. Every they could time certainly do. We've talked about how they're inadvertently practicing psychological warfare on yeah. the Yerks. They could do it much more deliberately. A lot more. Yeah. Also, I think like um, if they were like a little more creative with in building in a sense of awe and sort of like, oh, we're like the chosen people. We have this <laughs> superhuman ability. We're better than everybody else. You know, like. Um, we talked to God. He's the Elamist. Like, you know, he's he's on your side now. Oh, he got rid we, of Germany. We keep for getting us. killed and then he time travels and we're okay again. You know, like, but, uh, David, yeah. come on. You know, like, I don't know. I, I feel like if they wanted to be yeah. manipulative on a grand scale. They yeah. could just, they could never do that. That's not who they are. Yes. Yes. But speaking of things that they uh, could do better. Um, so we've, we've now established that it is possible for them in their various large animal morphs to just kind of knock through walls <laughs> and throw people around. And I feel like, you know, what would really benefit from that treatment is the yerk pool. <laughs> <laughs> You've got big animal morphs. Go smash a few things. I wonder if they hadn't gone into it in the first book when they were so mm. unprepared and didn't know what they were doing. Like, if they had done that for the first time in a later book, would they see it as a target they could more easily destroy? Also, they did go back in 17, yeah. and they're like lead biofilters and stuff. So, like, That's true. The security <laughs> you know where there are lead biofilters? In the walls, which you could smash through, apparently. I mean, I think the walls are like <clears throat> the earth. Like, it's no, just but, under... Smash no, through the side wait, of the cave. I think you're right. <laughs> Just, like, start an earthquake. You know, take down the whole city if it buries the yurt pool, right? Like, yeah, get the candrona raised from somewhere. Like, go in there and smash things. So one of our friends and listeners, Alex, suggested that we should have a um, a podcast segment where we just say, what what would Gray do? But we get Gray's, like, better plans for stuff. I'm a little worried so- about use David. <laughs> it's a, not a good plan. No, I think in this case, I want to know, like... What would you have done about David? And when? And when? Good. Well, I wouldn't yeah. have had him in the Animorphs. I mean, I, that's fair. Mar- that's, I say, yeah, that's an easy one. You know, Marco has been remarkably restrained at not saying I told you so constantly for three books. He has one moment where he's kind of like, you know, I don't think we should have done this I in didn't the first like him place. For the, yeah. And I was like, yes. Very restrained. Okay. I do. I think that's, that's an easy way out. Let's say that. They believe that David, knowing Marco, asked him about the blue box. Yeah. Is getting, is Marco's identity being revealed. So they so, have to make So it if David gets infested or is able to communicate that to the Yurks, at the very least, Marco has, Marco and maybe his dad, like, like have to you know, either be infested Get or go off the grid, yeah. leave, leave town. Like, let's, let's put the stakes there. Cause I think that that makes it more interesting. And I think that's actually even true. They don't really bring it up, but right. he would definitely be suspicious of Marco. I mean, okay, David doesn't know what the blue box does. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really know what it is. Yeah. I don't know if it glows or what it actually looks like. I don't think it glows. So here's what I would do. I would swap the blue boxes and <laughs> let him sell it to Visser 3 Ooh. and take the consequences thereof. Okay, but he would still be infested, presumably. Maybe, or maybe Visser 3 would lose his temper and kill him. Or Yeah, but you can't count on that. I, I no, so you take, but... you take the risk. You'd convince yeah. Marco it was worth the risk that he might have to destroy his whole life. 
because they got the blue box, and that's more important. But how will they know if uh, if he, they suspect Marco? Are they just going to like keep Marco under careful surveillance forever? That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good point. It is. They're high stakes, but I, I think you let you let David go with the assumption that Visor Three isn't going to believe him mm. or like but, pay attention to him. Yeah, I that's mean, there's possible. always the the chance that Visor Three will have a moment of actual you know, mature leadership and say, what else do you know and what can we get from you? But I don't see that being Visser 3's reaction. We did get to see some more of, like, the consequences of Visser 3's bad leadership in this book, where there are two police officers at the mall at the beginning, and they're like, "Uh, Tiger at the mall, this has to be an Andalite morph. And the other one's like, well, we can't kill him. Like, none of the other cops are our people. And the other one's like, well, Fister 3 isn't going to see it that way. He's going to think we should have figured out a way to kill him. And the other one's like, well, so maybe Fister 3 doesn't hear about this. And they're like, yeah, no reason he needs to hear about every little thing that happens. So he's, like, not getting reports on really significant Andalite, quote-unquote, activity in the town yeah. because his subordinates are afraid of him. Yeah. no, it's So, a, yeah, you're right. Maybe, uh... I but, like, once David would. has a yerk in his head, I feel like that yerk would, like, know who to talk to to, like, get Marco infested. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean... But you're right, maybe he wouldn't be suspicious. Maybe they would be like, well, okay, there's not going to be a human who's like... Yeah, there's a lot of... I mean, I feel like there's enough uncertainty there that I'd be willing to take the chance. Okay, As opposed to the certainty that it will go terribly wrong if you make him into an animal. Right, well, they didn't have that certainty, but we do in retrospect. I had that certainty. (laughs) So, Jenny, what would you do and when? Oh, crap, I didn't know this was going to involve asking (laughs) me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess it would depend on whether I thought... I thought the risk to Marco was great enough. Because I did say in 20, like, I feel like they shouldn't have turned him into an Animorph. Um, So I probably would have voted against that. Um, But assuming we already have done that, maybe we got outvoted, Gray and me. Or we weren't there for that decision. You know, whatever. This whole democracy thing. I know. I'm a big fan. (laughs) Um, Well, that's why Jake is just the absolute leader of the Animorphs. As we see at the end, he just issues the orders and they have to obey or they're out. Um... Would I have tried to not let him, or would I just have arranged for him to be killed? I don't know. I mean, I was saying that I think being a Nothlet is better, but I feel like that's a pretty significant loose end. Um, and I don't know. Maybe I would. Maybe I would just kill him. Wow. That I. I don't know if I would be able to bring myself to do that. This is a really difficult question. It is. But this is also not, like, this book isn't one in which I feel like the Animorphs really mismanage things. Yeah. I feel like it's a more interesting question when it's like, that was dumb. Like, at 20, that was dumb. Yeah. Right. Ted, what would you do? Well, right. So, like, the problem in 20 is that they don't take it seriously enough. Yeah. Because I think we aren't even saying this, but, like, um, you could sort of arrange for Marco to undo his mistake with David if you don't steal the blue box back. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, but, but... I think we it goes without saying that letting the Yerks get the morphing cube is like the worst, the worst possible yeah, option, yeah, yeah. right? So, so they they aren't even like that upfront about that. Where like if the choice is between hurting David and getting the blue box back, that hurting David is better. So mm-hmm. I want to go back to Marco's mm-hmm. choice two books ago. Blinding yeah. David to get the blue box would have been better, right? But like, they didn't even have to do that. They could have just snuck in that night. Well, exactly. So they could yeah. have they could have handled that whole thing better. They could have taken it more seriously. I realized what I would actually do, yeah. which actually I think someone commented on our site. Uh, I think you hand David over to the Chi. Oh. I think, I mean, I don't know what they would do. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Also, why are you inflicting him on the Chi? The Chi didn't do anything to you. <laughs> the Chi have really long lifespans. This is just like five minutes with an annoying person to them. 
right. You know, right. <laughs> oh, no, but they never forget anything. They'll have to remember everything David says forever. Yes. Well, That's I guess... Rough. But I guess the question is, like, we had said before that the Eric trapping a Yurk in his head is kind of, like, torture. That's true. But, like, could they just create a, like, video game for David to play in for the rest of it? Like, like essentially give him the power fantasy that he wants and then, like, go to it? Wow, you know, that's a good call. They could probably do that. They have really yeah, good Yeah, or, or talk to the Alamist and be like, excuse me, can you just get rid of <laughs> they David? They need, like, a button to call the Alamist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay, they deserve I, it at this point. I think that the stakes are more like if you want to if you want to recruit someone, you have to face the possibility that it goes bad, and they mm-hmm. they never they never talk about that. Yeah. Right. So if you're working if you're working with David, you need to be more upfront about the the sort of possibility that things are going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's just like coming to a consensus about their like the rules of being an animorph and kind of like trying to persuade David that they'll work with him or not. Like you could have approached him in a different way, Mm -hmm. but I think that um, much sooner in book 21, they should have had a conversation as a group being like, Hey, so this, there's a whole, there's a chance that David's going to get us all killed and we need to do something about that. Whether it's imprisoning him forever or getting killed. Right. Or like, you know, somehow they could have discussed, Blasting him into space, like Grace suggested, or shipping him to Uzbekistan or whatever, right? Like, there are a bunch of ways to get rid of him. But I think that they should have been clear that, like, we need the box. We need to make sure that the Animorphs aren't destroyed forever. That means David is expendable. We also talked about how they really just got lucky, the fact that the five of them all are willing to sign on to this mission, aren't going to betray the cause, you know. And they, so they never had to develop any sort of formal, like everyone agreed to follow Jake. Jake is a good leader who doesn't like put too much pressure on people and like works with their strengths and weaknesses. Like they don't have any formal, like the kinds of things you need when you're recruiting people to like a company mm-hmm. or like, you know, have like management and employees, like all of this stuff. Like they don't have, they don't have a mission statement. They don't have any bylaws. Right. Like, you know, and I'm not saying they need like a full charter, but like they've sure. never thought about any of that. But this. they should probably have an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they essentially do. It's Rachel sticking a fork in someone's ear and being like, don't tell anyone about us. I'll kill your parents. Uh, I mean, so that's what they should have done. They should have they should have kept their identity secret until he signed an NDA, right? Yeah. You can go, we're the shadowy organization known as the Animals. That would have been like really David, cool, right? You know, like you read this contract, you know, <laughs> that when you sign on the dotted line. And, okay, but how would they enforce that? Uh, I mean, by killing him, right? They have oh, to be. Okay. They have to be ready right. to kill him. I think I think a better way to say what I was trying to say before: Marco was ready to kill Karen in book nineteen, right? And yeah. he was going to face like she's like. Uh, I think I think that they haven't sort of grappled with that distinction, like a killing an innocent girl and like a fairly innocent Yurk or whatever, right? Like they're like they're already willing to do that, yeah. Uh, except in this one exceptional circumstance that happens in book nineteen. So I think just making the connection that like, oh yeah, David's like actually that bad. We should just be willing to kill him. Yeah. Um, they well, they they, sh- also- they should they should be willing to confront that directly. They haven't really grappled with the fact that they just kill lots of innocent, basically non-combatants in every battle. Right. Because the people, the bodies they're fighting do not choose to be (laughs) there. And David's worse than all of those people. Yeah, David's worse than all those people. But I think they can't grapple with that because if they really acknowledge that, then they're like, oh crap, we're just willing to like basically murder lots of people to win this war and then they won't be able to live with themselves or keep on fighting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
So I continue to say that the fact that that isn't a bigger deal is like something I find slightly alarming. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think the right answer is the more realistic answer is that one of the anim- Marco should have been willing to like kill David and not tell anyone about it. Like if Actually, somebody, yeah. if somebody like or Rachel or Jake, but like yeah. Jake in the last book is so like, well, I have to be fair to David. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not at all ready to make that choice. Rachel here is ready, but it's yeah. only after he's killed Tobias, right? Mm-hmm. I'm surprised Rachel didn't go to Marco and say, you know what? Let's figure out a way to sneak up on this guy and kill him. We don't need to tell anyone else. Like, that's the kind of thing Marco would have signed on for. Or even Axe. Or Axe. Right. Or Axe. Yeah. Rachel, Marco, and Axe take out. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting. But that's like, imagine, like, the secret, when the secret comes out in ten books. You know, like. That would be amazing. I want to read this. I don't think Cassie would quit because I think Cassie would recognize why. Maybe they did after, it. yeah, yeah. yeah. Fact. Well, it's also like Tobias. <laughs> Tobias chose to blow up all the Mercora, and he spared us from the decision, right? Everyone yeah. got, like Tobias saw the writing on the wall there, so oh, yeah. that just felt so fake compared to this, right? Because I mean, the book didn't treat it as as real. Can we talk about Rachel and Tobias? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> so. There's this thing at the beginning where Rachel thinks Tobias is dead and has some feelings about that. And she also has some feelings about how Jake sent Axe to get her specifically. And she's like, like I said, I'm not big on feelings, but something about that felt wrong. And yet, as I completed the Morph to Fly, I knew Jake had picked the right person. See, I cared for Tobias. I don't think I even knew how much I cared till right then. Stop. Which is really I love it. No, because we've talked before about how, like, she doesn't seem like she's reflected on their relationship as much. Mm -hmm. And you honestly don't see that much of it in this book. Like, they don't interact that much after he comes swooping out of the sky and it's wonderful. But David picks up on it and calls her out on it, like, when um, they're having their, like, bird battle in the sky, when uh, Rachel still thinks he's dead. Brave words, he sneered, but you're mine, just like that bird boy of yours was mine. And that's when the pressure inside me evaporated. I was cold again. Cold as a frozen lake. I knew what to do, and I wanted to do it. I shouldn't resent Jake for thinking of me, I realized. It's what made him a good leader. He knew us all. He knew me. I was actually thinking of a different great thing, where David says, Pretty upset over that bird boy, aren't you? What, did you like him or something? He grinned. That's it, isn't it? Ah, how sweet. Too bad. But you know, birds have short lifespan. Uh, which is not... Oh, is that when he's a lion? Or is that when they're bird and bird? Oh, no, that's actually... I'm sorry, that was that was later. That was when she has the fork. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, she says... He says, you know, birds have a short lifespan, and she says, so do worms, which is great. Uh, but yeah, she uh, he picks up on it. Marco presumably still doesn't know. He doesn't know. I, I but... have no idea when Marco realizes, if ever. <laughs> I'm very so I'm excited, really excited to, find to find out, out. if and when Marco ever realizes It is this. possible that he never knows, I'm just going to say. Yeah. I can't wait. But yeah, it, it is interesting that then we didn't actually get much Rachel and Tobias because that wasn't where the interesting relationship conflict was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I remember the other thing I was going to say about this. That her thinking about her own violence, like sort of evolves from thinking about, like, oh, Jake said to get me because he knows how I feel about Tobias. And that's sort of the cover she's, like, using Mm -hmm. for, like, and then once she realizes Tobias is alive, she's like, okay, but, like, actually Jake sent Axe to get me because he knows I'm the kind of person who would do this. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, and the the part that I was reading there when she is reminded of Tobias and then realizes she wants to kill David and can, like, acknowledge it to herself, there's another part like that a little later. Like, this is when they're bird versus bird. Um, Her plan 
is to lure him to a telephone pole and electrocute him. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. so it's, it's, it's really horrible because he starts like clawing into her and he's, he's basically pulling her up high enough that if she demorphs, she'll fall to her death. She's like, Oh crap, I'm, I'm losing. But she also thinks I wasn't going to get to watch David Fry on 10,000 volts. And yeah. it's like this, she like, has this dark part of her that's like really looking forward to David's and a lot of it is at the beginning about the idea that like he killed Tobias I need to destroy I need to kill him for it to use her very specific word and though we should also say there is a nice Tobias moment here where he swoops in and saves her oh so good Um, and then his (laughs) Tobias is like classic understatement which is one of the things that he does really well in addition to like knowing a lot of facts he's like (laughs) David's getting to be a real pain in the butt And she's like, Tobias, you're supposed to be dead. And he's like, what? Who, me? Yeah, who, me? (laughs) Adorable. Here's a thing that I wonder. I was just going to say, it's also classic Tobias that they thought he was dead when, in fact, he was just lost. (laughs) He was just lost all night, right? It's like classic, like, Tobias is just off there. They're having these life or death things. And Tobias is like, gosh, where is everyone? (laughs) I'm going to check everyone's house but Marco's. Oh, I forgot about that one. He's not lost. He's he lost David. Yeah, and he's flying around looking, looking for, for David. Him. Yeah, so yeah, he doesn't on, get lost yeah, as we know. He's on recon all night doing. <laughs> but he doesn't his job. check in with anyone. <laughs> he thought well, they were sleeping. <laughs> Why would he check in with them? Well, David probably isn't in Marco's bed after. No, Rachel's uh, yeah, room. Sure. anyway. <laughs> no, so um, I do want to though. My I have a question about this, which is. David and Rachel are fighting in Bird Morph, and a what what David David knows that he killed Tobias. That's mm-hmm. quite important to the plot. Yeah, and yet in the middle of this fight, a random red-tailed oh. hog hits him in the back of the head. A golden eagle, which, as we know, kill and yeah, you know, red-tailed hawks. And this, he thinks that some random red-tailed hawk from the neighborhood was like, okay, Ooh, an eagle battle. Great. Like, let he me go and attack the back of his head. <laughs> he doesn't know that none of the rest of them have a red tail hop morph. Also, he's not really into being a bird the way Tobias is. <laughs> no, this is totally a bottle. Like, also, no, that is legit. Can David not count to six when he's fighting the dolphins? Can David not count to six when there are elephants and rhinos attacking the other, like the. Oh, the I don't hotel? think he see. Well, maybe he does see that. They do say that it's like dark. Maybe he didn't notice. But, like, yeah, there's a couple times when, like, you. Probably shouldn't know. He probably doesn't know that, like, Cassie is out of commission. He doesn't, like, he didn't stick around to see, like, he doesn't know that Cassie didn't see her mom go off with Jake and then turn into a bird and come and, like. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 He doesn't know all the others are accounted for when Tobias attacks him. I'm happy with this being a plot hole that David is not that bright. Yeah, <laughs> or like being a—that's the justification. Yeah, it's just that he's not. That yeah, right. I mean, it's, although speaking of them in the in the dolphin work, one just quick relationship thing that I wanted to bring up was. One thing that I that I didn't love was they're in Dolphin Morph and David is is picking on Rachel and mm-hmm. really you know tormenting her with his with these harsh words about her who she is, and none of the other animorphs say anything. Yeah, and Rachel thinks. Well, they know that it's true. Of course they wouldn't say anything. And I thought, it does not matter. You stand up for her against him. 
do it. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Don't show that to the enemy. You are a team. You stick up for her even if you have to lie through your teeth to do so. And this is one it's of those things where, like, sometimes a book will focus on the relationship between two characters. Like, when we saw the conversation about Joe Bob Finestre where, like, it ends up being just Jake and Cassie because we're really exploring that mm-hmm. dynamic. And Marco and Tobias just don't say anything. And in this case, I think it was deliberate that, like, Jake didn't say anything and then just no one else did because it would have muddied the issue. And sometimes the books kind of narrow their well, focus. No, I way. think that's totally true. And I think, right, there is more nuance because it's, again, it's like she could have had this, she could have thought more about how Cassie feels about her or how Tobias feels about her. But yeah. they actually, um, there's, a, there's a bridge between that scene and the hospital scene where when, when Jake and Rachel are going to the hospital, she shows up at Jake's house and um, she's, it's just after this fight with David as dolphins. And um, Jake's like, oh, hey, Rachel, did you come over? And she like physically grabs him and pulls him out to the front porch and starts yelling at him about like sort of, you know, like anamorph stuff that she shouldn't be yelling about. Yeah. Um, and she says, I've never done anything like that to Jake. I shocked myself. I know I shocked him. Um, and then Jake is trying to diffuse the situation at any cost, right? Because that's Jake's really good at that. He's yeah. just trying to like speak calmly and say, you know what? Maybe we have some issues to work out. <laughs> like they do work them out a little bit later, mm-hmm. right? But um, I feel like he's being really disingenuous, right? Because mm-hmm. Rachel has a real grievance here. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. You know, I wasn't thinking that you're like a bad person. It's just, just you have the, the biggest the fire morphs. fight. I didn't yeah, want to Yeah, we were in the middle that. of a firefight. And then like, oh, why did I, why did I say get Rachel? Because you have the toughest morphs. So I knew that I needed your firepower against David. And Rachel's like, that could almost have been true. Right. And then she's like, but what about when I went after David at school? And then he doesn't have the chance to answer. So it's left unresolved. But I really feel like, so I feel like that backs up your point, Gray, that like, Mm -hmm. they're not, they're, they're kind of on eggshells around Rachel. Like, like, it's not just that they don't want to defend her in front of David, but they almost can't talk to her about Mm -hmm. it because they're afraid of how she'll react maybe, or because like, they don't they want to acknowledge what it means. they know it's true and they don't want to say it. Right, yeah. right. So it's what Rachel wants is for Jake to just like admit it. And yeah. he's, he's, it takes him a while to get there. And it does seem like it's better once he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting. I feel like even in that hospital scene, um, I really liked your take on Jake in terms of like, he was like, it was like very like soothing. Mm-hmm. But when I was reading it the first time, I felt like he was being kind of an asshole to her where he's like, yeah, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. And yours is that you're like a ruthless killer, right? Like, (laughs) I I feel like, I feel like at least he wasn't, I maybe was still thinking about that scene on the porch, but he wasn't acknowledging the pain that she was feeling. The the approach that he takes is very much like uh, toughen up, Mm -hmm. right? Like you just, this is true about you. Everyone has their strengths and weaknesses and this Mm -hmm. is yours. You Mm -hmm. think about the tool in the toolbox that you are and Acknowledge it, right? He doesn't have any of this kind of like, I'm going to be nice about it type thing. But what's so interesting to me, like it ends, they're they're kind of on this this moment of tension and then uh, she hugs him and it's after he says, uh, she's like, I I don't want to be this kind of person. And he's kind of like, yeah, you know, I mean, it happens to all of us. I didn't think I'd be the kind of person who would like, who would use my cousin that way. And so it's it's not necessarily that he's um, forgiving her or... That he's kind of saying, like, oh, you know, what you're doing is okay. He's just kind of saying, I'm also crossing lines that I didn't think I would cross. And she has company in this. Yeah, yeah. she has company, right? Yeah. Like, and that's what brings them together, which is yeah. like, uh, it, it, it's 
it's so relatable, but it's also, it's really, like, tragic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was wondering how much of it is just that, like, because he doesn't really say anything reassuring to her. Like, he's like, I don't know what you'll do without this fight. Like, it seems like you're addicted to this. And yeah. And, and, and then she's like, what about you? And he's like, yeah, me too. Yeah. Right? I guess it is the solidarity. And, like, that's what allows her to face it, maybe. Because before that, um, after the, right after the fork scene... She says, and as for Jake, I found myself filled with a terrifying surge of pure, utter hatred for him. I couldn't oh, begin yeah. to explain it. But I swear at that moment I hated Jake far more than I did David. Yeah. And then she says, I should have gone back to the cafeteria. I should have told them all what had happened. But Jake already knew, didn't he? Jake, the smart, determined leader, already knew all about me. And I couldn't face him. I couldn't face what he knew about me. And that's really the crux of it, I think. That, like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's facing him and knowing that he also knows it. That or like facing him, and that will make her face it. Um, but I do think that having that solidarity, maybe, is yeah. I don't know if it's the solidarity or if it's just like admitting it about herself made her not afraid to face it anymore. Yeah, I I think it's also just that what Jake is doing to them, it makes him a really good leader. It makes mm-hmm. them a really strong group. But he is kind of he is kind of manipulative and like indirect in his leadership style. And like, yeah, I could imagine if this had been a Cassie book. The conflict being between Jake and Cassie, where he's like, I don't know how to be David, but you do. And like really coaxing it out of her, you know, like in the same, I I feel like there's a lot of that where he, he, um, he knows how to use them. He knows how to get to where they need to go for the sake of the war. Mm -hmm. But, um, the best option is not always the like, let's be real and talk about the issues. You're Mm -hmm. a killer, Rachel. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Like. Um, yeah. I don't, and that's part of what makes him a successful leader, right? Because the, yeah. the, he makes the best of this situation. And he knows how to give Rachel what she needed in that moment, which was solidarity. Right, 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 yeah. right. He was honest with her because he figured out that it would help, probably. Yeah. Do you want to talk more, about more plot holes? Sure. Um, hey, you guys. What kind of box is this that they have him in? A steel box um, that they yeah, built. a metal one. <laughs> So if he morphed into a human, it would be too strong to contain an expanding human? Yeah, I mean, they sort of already referenced that with the Pepsi bottle or whatever. Yeah, you know what it would be like? Um, when they, he, David gets the cockroaches to go into yeah. the Pepsi bottle, and uh, then Rachel thinks there's no way they could demorph. If one of them tried, he would begin by... Uh, if one of them tried, he would begin by crushing the others and would then be smothered within the bottle, ending up as nothing but a blob of unformed flesh. And this too would be David's fate. So that seems I, like what would happen. I, I don't. I don't think that's true. I mean, a steel box is stronger than human flesh. Remember termite Cassie? Oh no! I mean, stuck in the wood. Yes, but I'm thinking of termite Cassie, right? I mean, I guess Axe like has to chop her out, but like yeah. I would have tried, like. I would have tried oh. to demorph so to see if like the Maybe strength of my expanding bones would like open the wild. What if that's one of the things Rachel's top. having nightmares? I mean, about that's probably something he tried. Life. Anyway, I just feel like the, the there's, demorphs there's and some demorphs flaws. over and over and over again, and all of these weird body parts are sticking out of the box. And yeah, gross. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what happened to Sadler's body? Uh, so what we know is that they took him into an elevator to like bring him to the emergency room. And when he came out of the elevator, the nurse and the doctor were unconscious and David was there. Uh huh. So presumably David dumped his body at the bottom of an elevator shaft. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess. 
Or, yeah, I guess on top of the other. That's so gross. All right, I mean, cool. this is, like, one of the subtler things that David does, but, like, one of the worst is that he yeah. presumably kills Sadler. Yeah. Who yes. was a goner anyway, as he says. So, I mean, it is maybe possible Sadler was already dead, but it's not, like, yeah. there's no reason to think that. Like, he was probably still alive when David yeah, found him. Yeah, and then now his body is just in an elevator shaft in a hospital. Where it will be found. Is it worse that he killed Sadler, or is it worse that he momentarily impersonated Sadler? And gave his family that, like, fake reunion, only for them to find his dead body. Oh and the body in an elevator shaft, looking in the hospital, not at home. All of this is, like, what are his... What is, I don't know if better or worse even, like, comes into play there. Like, it's, it's all, all really bad. So yeah. Bad. Hey, remember, this is a middle grade book. <laughs> but, like, how? Well, yeah. <laughs> the parents were like, they can read this instead of Goosebumps, because it's like, oh, yeah. it seems like not as bad. less traumatizing. Sure. <laughs> At least Jake and Cassie aren't having sex, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Do we know that? I have one last. <laughs> he took her That's arm. A, yeah. <laughs> no, I think we can assume uh, that we would have heard thanks. about that. I have one last very important question. Yeah. That is not actually for me, but okay. for my friend John. Okay. John asks, now that they have the cube, could Tobias become a human Nothlet and then use the cube to become an Animorph again? I think we know that Nothlets can't yeah, use the cube. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true. But I'm not true. sure. I don't know if we know that, but I'm pretty sure I know that. Because then why couldn't why couldn't you get the cube to like Arbron in the in the Andalite Chronicles or anything? Right? Like, yeah. I feel like I feel like that's why I feel like that's when we I'm pretty sure a Nothlet can't can't just touch the cube again. Okay. Like that's it would be such an easy solution to many things that I'm sure they would do. Like, Andalites wouldn't care about the two-hour time limit. They would just stay in more forever and then touch right. the cube again. Like, good point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the best. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, a, that's a good argument. Yeah. All right, John, there's your answer. <laughs> okay, so can we talk about this this scene um, where Rachel has to comfort yeah. her sister about Sadler's Oof, impending death? Yes, goodness. So the quote that I pulled out, um, I mean, if, so basically... Uh, Rachel is exhausted and Jordan is like, hey, Rachel, come on, get up. We have to go to the hospital or whatever. And Rachel's like really grumpy. But then she she uh, can't help but realize that her younger sister is really struggling with what's happened to Sadler. And so Rachel's like, OK, I got to be a big sister. Um, and, you know, Rachel's like, OK, hey, this is bad. It's unfair. Um, and, you know, the things that you're feeling like Jordan says she's she feels like it's glad she's glad it wasn't her. Um, she's kind of like blaming Sadler a little bit, like blaming the victim. Mm-hmm. How could he make, he could put us through this. He was being reckless on his bike when he got hit. Um, and Rachel's like, yeah, you know, um, it's okay to feel those things. Uh, that's just how people are. Um, and then, you, you know, she's like, you're going to be afraid. And then she says, you're going to do anything you can not to feel that way. You have to put up a wall between you and the fear. You have to cut yourself off from it. Tell yourself you're safe. Bad stuff only happens to people who are careless or stupid or evil. Jordan seemed to feel better. She even smiled. That's interesting. Like, was that like prescriptive advice? Like, go ahead. Put up a wall between yourself and the fear. Cut yourself off from it. Like, because it's not like when I first read it, I was like, she's just talking about like, that's kind of what happens. Like, you feel like you got to do this. And then, but then, like, Jordan's, like, seems to feel better and smiles. And, like, oh, maybe that's not how she meant it? I actually thought that it was more of a solidarity thing, like Jake does at the yeah, end. Maybe it's, that yeah, maybe it's more of Maybe that's a, what makes her feel better. Yeah. Oh, I, my reactions are natural. Yeah, yeah. This is so wrong, but this is how people are. This is this is what she how she starts that paragraph. Jordan says, it, it just feels, it's so wrong to, to feel this way. And 
we're just like, yeah, but that's also how people are. I mean, that's how we all are. We, we put up these walls. It's how we protect ourselves. And I think that solidarity is what helps as much as the prescriptive advice to like wall off your emotions, mm-hmm. which I'm Irish. That seems like good advice to me, but <laughs> your mileage may vary. You had thoughts about it. Well, what I love about this is that, so this is when David is eavesdropping on Rachel and he's like in her bathroom being like, mm-hmm. go ahead and shower. Um, and he repeats this advice back to her in a mocking way. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, bad stuff only happens to bad people, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, th- the great thing about the relatability of this advice, right, is just that it's it's like, it's not, it's not true, right? Mm-hmm. That like sometimes bad stuff happens and there's no way out of it. And what we were talking about earlier is how the ending of this book is the only way the Animorphs go on is by kind of saying, like, like making excuses, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's so relatable and so essential to being able to keep struggling forward. And it's very convenient that David is as monstrous as he is, right? Yeah. Like, it's very, um, Rachel's doing a really great thing for her friends by taking the responsibility on herself and letting Cassie go home and not have to confront the horror of what she's doing Mm -hmm. or forcing Cassie to put a knife to David's throat. Yeah. And Rachel's sort of able to do that, it seems like, because if it's a role she's consciously choosing, it maybe says less about her or something. Like, she's freaked out by her propensity towards and, like, comfort with violence and doesn't want other people to know about it. But then when she herself is sort of choosing to make herself seem harder than she is, she seems to be okay with that. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting, maybe because it's not reflecting something so... Because she's aware of it. It's because she's aware of it? Yeah. Because I think she does also feel really stupid about, like, I was changing and everyone else noticed and I didn't. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it's like something she's in control of. Um, It's not something that's, like, happening outside of her knowledge. I don't know. But I feel like this is like the, uh, her advice about like, oh yeah, bad things only happen to bad people. That's kind of the moral of most like middle grade fiction, right? <laughs> like that's just kind of the types of stories that are told. And that's why I love this narrative choice coming a third of the way into the Animorph series or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like a reminder that, like you were saying, I think in the last episode, Gray, like, sometimes there are going to be really bad consequences to the kinds of things that they're doing. It's mm-hmm. not always going to be a happy ending or a funny ending in an amusement park, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, like there, there are lots of, and I'm sure we will go back to Animorphs books that have those kinds of endings, right? Mm-hmm. But taking the time to kind of lay out something like this where there's no easy way out is very meaningful. Mm-hmm. Shall we uh, predict? So... I think Horpeter Chronicles are next, but the Chronicles are a separate prediction. Right, so we'll predict 23. So we already predicted Horpeter, so we're predicting 23. Next episode will be Horpeter Chronicles. Yes. Perhaps. (laughs) We'll see. The Pretender. The Pretender. Yeah. Whose book is it? It's a Tobias book. Yay! I love Tobias books. Yeah? At least I really love the last one, so I hope I'll love this one too. They've both been very good so far. They have. Two in my top ten. I think they were two in my top four. Would you believe that this one is also good? Yes. This one is also good. I'm sure that it will be. Um, Okay. Uh, It is Tobias, uh, indistinguishable from Jake at this point, Um, morphing. So it's it's Tobias, the boy in the background, Mm -hmm. and then the hawk in front of him, and the hawk is morphing into a rabbit. 
Okay. Just very interesting. I actually didn't remember what the animal was for this one. It's a rabbit. Um, the, I am looking at the ebook, and therefore I can see the inner picture, but not the inner text. And oh, I, dear. Oh. I looked at it. Oh, dear. And the inner picture is very interesting, because the inner picture is that bunny that he is turning into and some baby bunnies being uh-huh. attacked by a hawk Okay, looks kind of like him. And that's interesting. And I wonder how telling it will be. Okay. I have not looked at enough of these to know if they're useful. Um, <laughs> the, the subtext is, or the cut text is usually not, and in this case it is, Tobias is about to discover the secrets of his past. Whoa. Well, that's actually much more specific than they usually get. That's very specific. <laughs> It's better than I like you how know. excited you got, right? Fear has a new name. Well, well hey, I, know, I know some of the secrets of his past. Is he going to find... No. It, how would he... Okay, so we know that uh, Tobias is Lauren and Alphangor's kid. Mm-hmm. From a Pocky Universe timeline. From a Pocky Universe timeline <laughs> that is still off I'm by five years universe somehow. in as many podcasts as I can. <laughs> <laughs> and not even just Animorphology. You're going to get invited onto other podcasts where you can just talk about Pocket Universes. I mean, I'll listen to this podcast soon, obviously. Okay, so uh, Tobias is going to discover the secrets of his past. So we know about his parents, um, but we don't really know what happened to Lauren, and he doesn't know that Alfengor is his father. So I don't really see how Alfengor could be part of this, just because... I don't know, other than the Elemist, how many people even know about this. I I would love to hear your theory about how that happens, but you can give a better... Yeah, so I think for this one, we're going to stick with the Lawrence side of the... The the human side of his family, uh, if you will. And um, I think someone... I think his mom is going to come back and, like, an aunt or uncle is going to, like, actually start looking for him because Mm. it's about time. Someone notices, oh, wait, he's not with the other one. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then they're finally going to start looking for him. And, um, oh, shoot, the title's The Pretender. Maybe they're fake aunt or uncle? I don't know why that would happen. Um, I don't know. So, so, oh, no, of course. So, uh, no, so my prediction is someone is going to have to pretend to be him. Oh. In order to, I don't why know. Why can't how he work. pretend to be him? I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. No, just kidding. I forgot that. I for briefly forgot that he had a him. I'd also like to remind you about the bunnies. Oh, yeah. Just to make your prediction really hard. Okay. So uh, so he's going to have to pretend to be himself. And the <laughs> bunnies is, um, uh, shoot, um, uh, it turns out that uh, his... His mom's favorite animal is a rabbit, and uh, so he 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 decides he needs to have a rabbit more. I don't. I got nothing. <laughs> Love it. Are the Yorks involved? Uh, uh, yes. The the aunt or the uncle is a controller. Nice. Okay. <laughs> that was a great face that you made. I'm really sad no one will get to see it. Uh, that's my prediction. I don't know. Okay, well, don't we're know gonna we're gonna see exactly that happen next time in Morphology: The Pretender. Hooray. If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Anamorphs ebooks on our website. You know what they say, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the precipitant. That, yeah. And he's definitely... That's what David is. That's what I've always thought about him. Just gunk at the bottom of a test tube.